I really personally don't consider myself an artist. I consider myself a designer that uses art to communicate my ideas. I actually have much more respect for artists. An artist really has to be comfortable revealing themselves to the world in their, through their art. We as designers just provide a solution and we use art to communicate how that's gonna be solved. We never really are exposing ourselves to the world. Have you ever thought about how you design a toothbrush or a table or even a pair of shoes? It, it almost sounds too simple, right? I mean, you know, toothbrush goes in your mouth and you scrub, 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 a table, it's got some legs, shoes go over your feet and maybe some laces. Or what about the pinnacle of all design projects, an automobile? Well, if you can design a toothbrush by taking into account your user, having some empathy for that user, and a good sense of aesthetics, then you can have the illustrious title of an industrial designer. A career that, to be honest, is probably one of the coolest design-related careers out there. I'm your host, Bobby Brill, and in this episode of Creative Mind, I talk with Antonio Borja, a former creative designer at General Motors, a former student here at the Academy of Art University, and now, of course, the director of the School of Industrial Design. And after, of course, we hear about his origin story, we dive deep into what type of thinking goes on in the head of an industrial designer. And in many of the past podcast episodes, we have seen where you start out in life is not always where you end up. And Antonio's path from Mexico to Detroit is a great story, so please do stick around. But a few things before we get into it. Please check out our new Facebook page at, of course, facebook.com slash Podcast, where we will be bringing you more videos, images, and talks with all of our past and future guests, including a great six-part documentary series that follows a semester-long collaboration with the School of Industrial Design and Subaru. So check that out as well. And as always, please hit subscribe on whatever device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind. Now, here's Antonio Borja. How does your story start going from Mexico to the U.S.? What was that like for you as a kid? I was fortunate. We grew up in a ranch, and our family also had a banana and a mango plantation. So we're from the very tropical region in, uh, in Mexico. So, I mean, as a kid, I mean, I, you can find me running around amongst the cows. You can find my Doberman with me at my side, my parrot on my shoulder. Um, yeah, <laughs> so I had to, basically, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I got into, I, I would say I got into a lot of trouble because I was very curious about everything pretty much. And But what a place um, to get in trouble to. That's awesome. Like for, to give you an example, I mean, we had... Uh, the canals that be on the hills, hillside for water for the banana plantations and the mango plantations were kids, so water slide, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> Jump on there. <laughs> Parents weren't too happy about it, but, you know, for us and, and my cousins, I mean, that was, that was fun. I mean, we were able to, again, pretty much explore nature, and, and, you know, there wasn't really anything to stop us. We had, my dog was my guardian pretty much, oh, wow. uh, you know, but obviously I had to let my mom know where I was at. But I would say that that freedom to roam is what kind of lent it towards my natural curiosity towards things because it's like, okay, I wonder what's over there. Or like, what, is, what makes this work? Or like, how does this come together? And, and so, you know, like I said, I think I was really fortunate in that. And then, you know, my, my father and my, and my mom both immigrated and I immigrated with them as well to L.A., and once I was in L.A., I remember it was like a big culture shock for me because, for sure. I mean, one of the first things was like being served cold milk. 
And I okay. was like, what is this about? Why is it cold? <laughs> like, it's supposed to be warm, right? <laughs> and they're like, no, it's, you know, store-bought milk. And, like, I, I remember it. I, and to this day, I still really don't like milk unless it's steamed. <laughs> it's funny. My, my brother-in-law is like that. He's from India. And, like, I was at his house, and he was pouring milk on his cereal and then put it in the microwave. Yeah. And he, he caught me looking, and he goes... I didn't grow up on cold milk. It, it's it's weird. So yeah, so that was one of those things where it was like, okay, and then all of a sudden, obviously, you know, I get introduced to a whole different lifestyle in the sense that, you know, there's cars that are around me where before there's horses and, and cows. And I mean, we had cars as well, too, but it wasn't. But LA is, is it a concrete was, Exactly, exactly. It wasn't, where in LA were you, where did you start? When we first moved, we lived pretty much in South Central LA. Okay. I went to school in Wattsworth Elementary School, okay. which is right off of MLK. Yeah, right by the Watts Towers there. Yeah. Okay. So it was, you know, uh, as a kid, you know, we, we had a lot of fun. I remember one of the classes, one of my favorite classes that we had is where, you know, basically back then in the LA district, everyone, I think everyone got an IQ test. And that's what allowed you to get placed in whatever classes you were going to be in. And so it was cool. You know, we got to we got to get placed in, in a class where we had, we were like the, one of the only classes that had all Macs. Oh, wow. So we had a Mac lab, you know, and we would, we'd play around on, on our Macs. And then we also, that was the first time I got introduced to electronics and how to like make your own devices pretty much. And we had and to make This a, isn't LAUSD? Yeah. This, this is regular LA public school? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And basically we had a bunch of radio kits and, you know, you had to wind the little crystal, the crystal kits. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And we're over there, you know, hooking it up to the fence, trying to get the boost the signal as well, too, for, you know, with our antenna. And so, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think when I moved here and I got exposed to that, I mean, it definitely, curiosity was already there, but this just kind of like took it to another level. I mean, every toy that I got, you know, it was like I would play with it for about five, 10 minutes. And then my curiosity got the best of me. It's like, okay, how does this thing really work? And that's where I would start taking things apart. And luckily, I was able to put most of them back together and get them to work again, <laughs> which is why, you know, at first, you know, my mom would always say, like, why are you breaking all the toys we buy? I'm like, I'm not breaking. I'm just trying to find out how it works, you know. Or well, like, well, what was the reason for moving from, from Mexico and then into South Central LA? Basically, my, my dad wanted us to, to live in the States. Okay. My, my mom, all her family is in Mexico. Most of them are still in Mexico, but we do have a few you still uh, have aunts the ranch? and uncles. Uh, yeah, it's still part of the family. Oh, wow. Yeah, and again, it's uh, it's now you know part of our extended cousins since they're the ones that are down there and they okay. they still run the the land, and they also have a plastics uh, company in Mexico City as well. Oh, okay. So that that was another thing that kind of introduced me to like making things. You know, yeah. it's like the family business was to make plastic goods. Uh, and so that's something that, you know, I was around that. So you, were, you were prototyping long before you knew you were prototyping. <laughs> Correct. Pretty much. Yeah. I didn't know it. Yeah. So for me, like I said, it was one of those things where, um, you know, my dad's like, you know, there's just going to be better opportunities for my son to, to grow up in the States. And how was that? Because I know, I know Watts has its own vision of what people think Watts is like. How was it growing up in Watts? I mean, it's a little rough and tumble. It was. It was. I mean, I, I uh, you know, I was there until pretty much the end of fourth grade. I was fortunate in the sense that I made friends with everyone. Mm -hmm. So I really didn't, you know, I had, you know, there, you definitely had like the, the gangs and all that stuff going on. 
But my dad did a good job. I mean, he his business took off. He's always been an entrepreneur. His business started taking off, and we moved to Glendale, you know, within a year and a half. Okay. And so then things got better. But still, you know, you still have the both sides. But for me, I just learned from an early age, like, I'm not going to associate myself with, you know, being part of one group or another group on myself. And then, you know, people who like to succeed and like what I do are going to come around me and I'm going to go around people that I, you know, want to be like as well, too. So I quickly learned how to, like, create a nice little social network around myself of a group of friends that... I knew had ambitions to just to be more than what they were currently. Were they were they doing some of the the design or some of the the same curiosity bent that you had as a kid? Yeah, I think the majority of them were really creative kids. I mean, I think kids are just naturally inquisitive, right? Looking at things and and trying to understand how things work. I know for me, art was something that was really big, um, just because. We had like pottery classes, you know, we would always be painting and whatnot. Quite frankly, I wasn't very good at it because for me, I was, you know, my my mom's focus was more, you're going to be really good at math, you're going to be really good at <laughs> physics, things are going to work out, right? <laughs> That's all you need in life. Exactly. You'll be good. I'll be good. And um, so art for me was just more always like an outlet, like just a creative outlet. Like this is a lot of fun, you know. I never really saw it as, as work or homework per se, you know, okay. I just did it because... I want to create this cool thing. So I need all these things and I just make it happen. Where for like homework, like math and, and physics and, you know, biology and all that stuff, it was it was like, OK, this is just homework. I need to need to get good at it. Luckily, math, I was something that it was just natural. I mean, all our family. I mean, one of my cousins is a mathematician. So it was just it just made sense to me. It just was just in logical. The DNA. Yeah. And okay. it was just like where everyone else would struggle with them. Like, why are they having so much problem with this? It's just logical. It's this and this. <laughs> Variables, guys, solve for them. So you'll be good. Um, so, but, you know, it was nothing that ever interests me. But I think a lot of my counselors would see that. And that was one of the main reasons why initially when I, you know, when I was in high school and then starting to transition into like looking, what am I going to do? What is there for me to do? Like, I, I love tinkering with stuff. I like art. But most of them would look at my grades and say, like, you know, you can be an engineer. My mom would make me take summer classes at Los Milanos Community College. This is when we moved up to the okay. Bay Area here to Pittsburgh. And so I would take summer, uh, I would take uh, math classes in the summer oh my to gosh. get ahead. Oh, man. So, you know, as a sophomore, I was taking calculus. So she was really, really pushing you. Yeah, I mean, she to, just said, to, you know, this to, is where you're going to be. Like, this is what the family's good at, <laughs> pretty much. And And so, yeah, so, you know, for me, it was... I was going to go down that path of being an engineer, mechanical engineering. Typically, anytime you tell anyone that, hey, I like cars or I like making things, like, yeah. oh, you're going to be a mechanical, mechanical engineer. engineer. That's yeah. it. And so, yeah, so that was that, that was really the, the big push there in the sense that, you know, I, I think, again, at an early age, I was really exposed to a lot of these classes where we had to make things ourselves. And I really, I really have a lot of, you know, good memories looking back at that time because, you know, we would work together as a team to get our radios to work or to get our little, you know, trinkets of whatever we were making, little solar panels. I think on one of them we were making like little simple solar pa- uh, solar panel or solar powered uh, cars, you know. Oh my just so like, you, you were really, I mean, you were doing full on design yeah, and I engineering. Mean, and it was just, but again, for kids, you don't really think of it as that. Yeah, it's just, it's you're just making a, a thing, you're, you're making it move. <laughs> and so basically... You know, getting exposed to that, I think it's what 
would really like, you know, open up my my mind to saying like, hey, it, this actually can be something that I would want to do. And it doesn't was, feel like work. Was there a car culture thing going on or was, was LA, that something yeah, in LA, for, for there, you? Yeah, in LA. And even when I was in the ranch, I mean, my mom would always tell me, it was like every time any of my uncles came to visit or any of my aunts would come to visit, they would always know to bring little Toñito, <laughs> which is what they call me affectionately. A car. Okay. They always bring me a car model. Okay. And because they knew that that's what I loved. So, you know, even though, like I said, I was surrounded by horses and all these animals in the ranch, you know, I, I was always exposed to cars and, and it was something that I, you know, I, that's what I love to play with. What was the car? What was your favorite uh, model car? What was the one you... I think when I was a kid, I, I rem the one that I remember the most is a yellow C4 Corvette that I got. <laughs> Okay. It was it was a remote control one, and it was just like I was over the moon because it had the pop up lights. Oh wow! So it was something that I was just like <laughs> I was completely smitten when I got it, and I was like, when you graduated high school, then what was the the goal? So your mom's telling you, okay, you're gonna be a mechanical engineer. You're thinking mechanical engineer. Well, not only my mom, I think it was also counselors because a lot of counselors just don't they don't really know a lot about art and design. You know, it's always seen as like a auxiliary field that it just exists but no one really knows what right, what yeah. happens upon graduating you know i enrolled in uh in dvc my cousin did as well he went to cal poly mathematician what's dvc the Alvo valley college okay. this is in uh pleasant hill and basically so i enrolled in junior college you know i try to get all my two-year classes out of the way all the general ed stuff out of the way you know i met with the counselors there too and their and their advisors and and we tell them, like, yeah, I want to design cars. That's what I want to do for a living. It's like, okay, yeah, you're going to be a mechanical engineer. That's what they do. It's like, all right, great. That's made sense. That, that's the but only then I'm in drafting classes, and I'm like, I don't want to draft anything for, like, hours on end. Like, this is not, this is boring to me. This is repetitive work. Nothing against people that draft. This just wasn't my, wasn't your thing. my passion. Yeah, I was more into, like, I want to create and define what the vehicle is going to do, how is it going to look, how is it going to function. But again, I had no clue that there was a field. And then I actually happened to run across a brochure of industrial design. And that's where I was like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> I want to be an industrial designer. I want to be a car designer. Because yeah, industrial design, I mean, I've worked tangentially with you in your department for a couple of years now. And every time you see somebody doing industrial design, it's like, I mean, your just head explodes. It's like, oh, this is everything. Yeah. This is literally every yeah. skill set an artist can have. It's all the math, all the design, all of the pretty, all of the functionality, all of the cool in one thing. I mean, I'm jealous yeah. when I go to industrial design because <laughs> it's like, oh, they get to do massive machines and make really cool things. Yeah. One, and like I said, once I realized like this field exists, it there was like, okay, that's what I want to do. And I, you know, quickly asked my advisors like, okay, what are, what are some of the industrial design programs around here? And, you know, they mentioned San Jose State Art Center. Academy of Art and my mom really just wanted and I also really just wanted to stay close to home too so you know I, I came to the academy I remember I took one class because at first I wanted to see uh -huh. if I was going to like it because you know it still was kind of like Big step yeah I mean it was like I'm super excited about it but I'm like I don't want the excitement to get the best of me I want to make sure that this is going to be right I still remember my first class it was um I took a uh development of form class and it was just yeah this is where I belong in that development of form class, what was that light bulb moment for you? I think that the, the first time that I got to see how I could design something and sketch it out, and then within the same day, make a prototype of it, 
and then have a functional product by the end of the day. And it was like this idea just came from something that I just sketched. It was just something here. I brought it to paper and then I brought it to life. I thought there was something really powerful about that. It's like I'm getting to create products for people. Like this is really cool. This, 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 it's going straight from your head into the, the world yeah. in a day. And then I get to, you know, showcase it to my friends, my, my classmates and whatnot. They give me feedback on it. We make changes to it and we make it better and we improve it. It's like, wow, like this is never ending fun. It's like you're going to be in the sandbox. You're going to make cool castles. You're going to tear them down and make some more new ones the next day. And it's like it just doesn't stop, right? Because if you think about it, I mean, we design products. But as you know, perfection is still elusive. We design these great products. They're perfect for the time. But as, as people evolve, as time, you know, as time goes on, the needs and the wants become different. So things need to be redesigned. Right. You know, what we felt was the greatest thing, you know, that for consumer electronics, for example, what was the best phone last year is now old news within right. six months. Car design is kind of similar as well, too. You know, the, for the, the next model year or four years, you know, every four years, usually you have a major facelift. And it's like, okay, now this car that which once seemed to be like the perfect, you know, resemblance or the perfect personification of the brand seemed like you couldn't top that. Now it becomes, you know, not obsolete, but definitely it becomes a statement of what that brand was at that point in time. What is it? The the Honda, the Hyundai accent or the, what was it? Or the Aztec? Was that one? That was the Pontiac Aztec. Pontiac Aztec is the one. So interesting story about that, though, because when I, so when I, we're fast forwarding here. (laughs) But when I I joined GM, that was one of the projects I had asked about. I was like, you know, so like, what, what was the story behind the Pontiac Aztec, you know? And you ask it, not because you're poking fun, but you just kind of want to know. Yeah, how did that happen? And one of the things that, you know, the designers told us is like, well, that was our first attempt at just doing everything digital and not having clay. And there's a reason why <laughs> yeah. it looks great on rendering to looks great on sketches. But when we saw it in real life, it wasn't really translating to what we saw on there. And so that's quickly, they realized like, hey, you know, like as much as we like this new process of creating everything digitally and just printing or not printing it out, but like, you know, manufacturing from data, we still need the hand to touch the surface and sure. to finesse the surfaces and to see them and one-to-one scale and make adjustments to them then. But that was one of the things that, at least that was one of the things that I was told and, I, and it made a lot of sense. Like, okay, I can see that because I'm like, the sketches of it were always pretty, they looked pretty good, you know? And the concept, the concept honestly, it was quite, quite forward of its time. I mean, the fact that it's a multi-use vehicle. I mean, this is before, you know, crossovers were at right. their craze that they are today. The fact that you can, you know, build your tent out from the back when the the cargo gate was open and all that. It had a lot of really cool features of like, you know, being able to wash out the interior and all that stuff. So a lot of really cool functional things that were in the design. Yeah, it's funny. As I I mentioned, it is a a, a laughing point. And, you know, we'll talk about that later. Subaru, you know, I'm remembering some of that stuff from Subaru. It's like, hey, maybe that's going to be the car of the future that has these living spaces built into it and, and different ideas. So it's kind of. Yeah. And I, and I think again, you know, and that's where, you know, you'll see that a lot of companies typically they're, they're hesitant to introduce too many new variables at the same time. You can push it too far and the public's just not ready for that. So a lot of times you have to put intermediate models or like, you know, stepping stones. So that way you can adjust <laughs> Educate people exactly. Okay. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, we saw the same thing happen with the uh, with the iPhone, right? Yeah. First iPhone had a bunch of skewferisms in its design, 
So, you know, your notepad looked like an actual little notepad. The timer looked like a, a timer. Yeah, you know, the microphone. And now it's just the, you know, the actual WAV or wave signal on, on, on the uh, recording there. So those are things that if they would have done that right away, people would have been taken aback. Like, what is this thing? You know, this is an alien foreign thing. You so know? the Tesla truck may be the coolest thing ever in 15 years. <laughs> you know what? I mean, that was, that was, uh, so we, I mean, I was down in LA when it got unveiled and, uh, you know, that was a big discussion that we had. I mean, I th again, I think when you look at industrial design and what we teach our students to do, which is have empathy for who you're designing for, so what are their wants, what are their needs, what are they going to be their nice to haves. Also have empathy for society. Like what, what is, what can this vehicle be and how is it going to exist around you know, other vehicles and how is it going to live in, in, in a day-to-day -day environment, you know? The next thing is we say, you know, you have to make sure that it's also logical. It has to make sense. So you have empathy, you have logic. Those two things are what sets up your project because empathy is, again, understanding who the user is, who is going to be designed for. The logic is making sure that the technology is there, the price points make sense, the sustainability makes sense, you know, the products, the, the actual materials that you're using make sense for the application that you're trying to do. And then, and then pretty much the next thing that sits on top of that, I'm drawing a vastly simplified diagram here. <laughs> and then what sits on top of that is aesthetics, right? So aesthetics is what comes in and makes people want it, makes people identify it with the brand. It's got to be cool, but also just, you know, we have different brands because different people want to project you know, themselves in different ways. So that's one of the main reasons we have multiple brands. And, you know, most conglomerates usually have three or four brands under their umbrella that they control. And it's for that reason. And so basically, once we have those things where the intersection of those three elements intersect, that's where you're going to have your design. You mentioned empathy. And, you know, pretty much everyone we've talked to so far has said that same thing. Chuck Pyle talked about in his illustration career that if you're illustrating, you need to illustrate with empathy or you're telling a story that people can empathize with. Um, we had some other designers talk about always having empathy in what they were doing. And that, to me, is not something I often think about when I'm thinking about an artist, that almost that, that psychological connection with people. And how important is that in you know, industrial design, when you're designing a toothbrush or a car or something like that? I think now the way we really look at designing things is we really try to ask ourselves, okay, what, what's the main goal that we're trying to accomplish here? So if we do a study of a day in the life of a certain person, like this is what they do, they get up in the morning, they do X, Y, Z. Then at that point, we look at this is their day today. Where are their pay points, pain points that we can remove from their life okay. and make their lives better. Because this is, I mean, at the end of the day, that's our goal as industrial designers is to make life better for everyone. Make, make, life, make life painless. As painless as it can be, at least. And, you know, as you know, you pretty much from your, actually, from the point you go to bed, beds are also most of the time designed as well, to the toothbrush, to your cell phone, your computer, your sneakers. All that stuff is designed by industrial designers. Right. And so basically for us, it's like, okay, well, let's look at their, their lifestyle. Let's look at their a day in the life of the week, of the weekend, of vacation time, of, you know, them having 
a special getaway with their friends and family, right? We look at those things and we ask ourselves, what experience, what new experience can we create to make people's lives better? And that's how we're designing most products today. We don't even take into consideration really just the hardware or just the software. They're both in unison being worked on. And that's, again, you design the experience first, and then you design all the assets that are necessary to make that experience happen. And I know we're going to talk about cars predominantly, but that is everything industrial designers. Correct. Right? Yeah. I mean, because in, in, our, in our department, I mean, and this is kind of one of the things that we've been talking about recently is, is we say industrial design and people just don't get it at first because they're like, what? You're in a factory designing stuff? Like, no. <laughs> no we got a team, team of robots working around the clock. <laughs> we just sit there and push buttons. Yeah. And it's like, no, I mean, the only reason the word industrial is in there is because we tend to mass produce the ideas that we come up with so that they make an impact in people's lives, yeah. right? If I make a one-off and it's a wonderful thing, but I can't, it's not a democratic product because I can't share it with the rest of the world, I'm not going to, I'm going to make a change in one person's life and that's going to be great. But if I have the opportunity to change millions of people's lives, that's going to be much more impactful. And that's where the word industrial comes from, and the fact that our ideas have to be mass-produced. Okay. And, and that's... It's worldly thinking as opposed to fine art gallery thinking. Correct. Okay. And so in, within our umbrella, I mean, our students can study everything from furniture design to toy design to product design. And product design can include footwear design, personal electronics, consumer electronics, medical equipment, and then we also have transportation as well. So it's a really wide gamut of areas that students can go into and make, a, make an impact on the world. I have to say this because, again, all the time that I go over there and, and, and work with you guys and see the students, it does affect more of my decision-making process every day. Because my wife and I were shopping for a car end of last year, and I had a Chevy Cruze. Nice car. We bought it new, except it had a very massive design flaw in my, in my thinking. So the way I got in, I banged my shin in the same spot once a week. And immediately, I didn't care what the car was. I didn't care how much it cost when we got a new one. I was like, if I bang my shin, I'm not getting into this car. We are getting back in our car and we're driving to another yeah. dealership. And three times, I won't mention the cars we didn't get, but they were all high end because we ended up getting an Audi. But all the car, these luxury cars we got into, I was like, boom, nope, we're done. I physically am not going to enjoy this car. I just need to walk away. Yeah. And that's the reason why we have multiple brands because, you know, we don't, we can't, we have yet to design the right answer for everyone. Yeah. So with that, I mean, like what I would tell you, a cool story about that is we went to the LA Auto Show this last, um, this last fall and the CA team was there, uh, Vlad and Tristan. Vlad uh, did the exterior of the new Corvette, the C8, and Tristan did the interior. And that was one of the things that they had discussed about, you know, they they reinforced the center beam of that car so that ingress and egress was a lot easier, being that, you know, most of the time, a lot of the Corvette clientele tends to be older, even though this car is designed to appeal to a younger clientele. But it's something that it was cool to see that even though in this really high-end supercar, like they're still paying attention to the human component. The person who's actually going to be buying right. it as opposed to, right. you know, yeah. that, that user study is a little skewed, a little older, a little more mature. That was just one thing that they did to respect their current customer. Mm. 
But if you look at the styling and the, now that it's a mid-engine and everything, they did everything else to attract younger clientele yeah. towards the brand. And I think they're going to be successful with it. So let's take a quick break and let me ask you this question. Are you looking for the right school to get in-demand skills in creative industries? You are invited to our upcoming interactive online open house, where you can learn about our over 40 art and design programs, admissions, financial aid, campus life, and more. Our admissions team will also be available via online chat throughout the event to answer whatever questions you may have. RSVP today at academyart.edu slash podcast. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So let, let's go back, uh, you know, because we went off on a great tangent there, but you come to the Academy here and you focus primarily on, on industrial design. Is it, are you working on transportation or where is your focus in industrial design at that point? Transportation. I love cars. All I ever wanted to do was just work on cars, design cars. Quite frankly, not even work on them. I, I enjoy driving them more than working on them. But because yeah, I wanted them to drive. No, I mean, I, I changed transmissions and all that fun <laughs> stuff, too, because I wanted it to go faster. Um, not necessarily because I was like, you know what? I want to get dirty this weekend <laughs> and wrench on my car. It was more like, OK, what do I need to make it go fast? And this is what needs to happen. And, you know, I ordered a custom engine from. It was Central Mustangs back then in, uh, in Tehachapi, California. And, yeah, I mean, they crate motor shows up to my, to my front yard. My mom's like, why is there a big rig parked in front of our house? <laughs> so, oh, my motor just came. Uh, Your what? Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, again, it was just something that I, I've always enjoyed. And, you know, going out and, and, and driving my cars and, and having a lot of fun with them. And so anytime I ran across into anything that I felt was going to make that experience better, I would go out and make it happen. Walk me through, I, I know industrial design is a big, big subject to tackle, but walk me through that basic transportation path. What, what, what is it that you were learning that helped you to become a car designer after graduation? So I, I think the first thing that one of my instructors said to me was like, a car is the most irrational purchase we all make as human beings. It's the second most expensive transaction for most of us behind our home. Yeah. Our home appreciates in value. Right. Our vehicles do the opposite. Yeah. So it makes no sense, really. Right? And like if you have a good running car, really, there's no really good reason to get rid of it. <laughs> you know, it was quickly explained to me. It's like different cars make you feel different. And like, and one of the things that I was really just... For me, at that point, I loved, I was fortunate enough, my first car was a Mustang that was a five-speed Fox body that I could not drive. My uncle went and drove it home for me because I didn't know how to drive <laughs> You it. couldn't drive a stick? I oh, could not no. drive a stick. Oh, no. Um, you know, my wife, she taught me how to drive a stick. We were friends back in high school, and so she was the one that taught me how to drive my Mustang. <laughs> um, That's very brave of you to admit that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean... Uh, an even better story is that one summer we were restoring a 1956 Buick Special. Awesome summer project for just a bunch of kids. And we got it running and everything. And then we all looked at each other because it was a, a three on the tree. Oh. And we're like, this is awesome. <laughs> we can't drive it. <laughs> Whose grandpa knows how to drive this car? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But luckily, I mean, we were able to back it out. We got into first gear and we drove it to her house. Had her jump in and then she drove us the rest of the way. Oh, so it's wow. like, whoa. We were all super proud because there's like you know we just spent the summer bringing this thing back to life but so no one's coming up can... on the line to your wife at all 
Or if they do, they're, if they do, they're not walking away. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so that was uh, one of the things that, you know, again, that was like my first actual car was a Mustang. And from there, it just took on like I just love I love the sound of V8s. I love working on on V8s. And, you know, I got a 93 Cobra and that was awesome for me. It was a really fun car. And then I got a SN95 Cobra. So when you were doing car restoration in, or re- working on cars in school, were you doing, you know, were you starting in sketch? Were you starting on clay? What what was really your design process? So there? Our, our process really involved around just doing research first, like understanding, okay, who are we designing for? Who's the target market? Who is going to purchase this vehicle? And then once we did that, then we had an understanding of the package. So our package is defined by the drivetrain, what makes the car go. It's uh, defined by the amount of occupants we have to carry, and then also by the amount of goods we need to transport to storage. So basically, like I tell my students, a car design it's designs itself pretty much, depending on what its function is. You know, you have something like a a mid-engine uh, Lamborghini that has a huge V12, and it has a storage for your little business attaché case and two people, right? right. And, and the majority of that car volume is taken up by the motor. Because its purpose is to go fast, yeah. right? So where you can have a cargo van where the motor is pretty small, but the cargo volume is huge. Space. Yeah. And so basically, you know, that's what we would do is we would research who are we designing for. And then from there, you know, we would optimize the components as we best saw fit and then quickly started to design around that and trying to create beautiful forms that would appeal to people. And then, you know, the the thing that we would always strive for is that there's always little nicer prices in the design that when people would, you know, interact with it, it's like, oh, wow, like this is really well thought out. Little little things that make them proud of their vehicle, because like like we said before, it's kind of like a vehicle is still a very emotional purchase for most sure, people. Absolutely. And it's something that they see as like this is going to represent me when I'm not at home. And people tend to stick to a brand. There, there's that loyalty and love that comes to it Correct. and the tribal identity. Yeah. And- exactly. And so that's where I think, you know, a lot of people, when they're making that decision, they they will test drive a few different vehicles, I mean, and, and see which one fits their personality, fits what they like to feel when they're driving inside the vehicle. And so, yeah, so basically once we got that, started doing a lot of sketching and we'd move on to clay. Again, the beautiful thing about working with clay is that you're able to see your design in 3D and you're able to quickly make changes to it. It's a, it's a very awesome medium because the clay we use is not like the traditional clay where you're going to fire it and it's going to turn into a hard clay. This is malleable clay. And we call it tech clay or there's also tools clay, which is from Japan. And it's a great, great medium because it's it's very easy to add. It's very easy to subtract. So it's both additive and subtractive prototyping with it by hand. And it's, I mean, not a lot of schools still do that. I mean, it's, kind of, it's, it's very much an art form in and of itself, right? Well, I think most transportation programs still okay. still do it. But, you know, I think for, for us, I think both Tom and I's philosophy on that is that you're able to evaluate your design and your forms much more efficiently and effectively when you can see them and you can walk around them and you can evaluate the highlight and to see the presence yeah. of of the design in real life. They are impressive. I mean, they are super impressive to see these massive 
that kid just made a car. Yeah. That's a whole car sitting yeah. there. I know I know where all the pieces are on this car now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's it's a fascinating. Well, it's nice to see them, you know, to peel peel back behind a curtain and kind of see the magic of it happening again. And that was the that was the fun thing for me. It was like once we defined a design in clay, and then we got to finish it and add details and try to make it as realistic as we could. Yeah, I mean, and, and one of the things that I was really fortunate is like, you know, because I came to Academy, we had a bunch of really cool tools. I mean, we had 3D printers back when if you told someone we're printing something and they would look at you like, what are you talking about? Are you going to stack a bunch of paper? <laughs> you're, make, you're making a car out of paper mache now? Uh, no, exactly. No, no. Um, you know, so back then, um, you know, we, we had a 3D printer and I remember designing my wheels for my models and everything. And, you know most of my friends would always like what what are you like you it makes it like uh i'm like all right you know star trek right or you know (laughs) (laughs) there's a thing called a replicator right star trek exactly that's what we're doing here exactly and just like you just hit print and it makes it (laughs) 17 days later yeah (laughs) so yeah you know so we had access to all these really cool equipment and and so like i said it was it was cool because i've always loved technology too you know, going back to the natural tinkering. So for me, it was also really awesome surprise that, yeah, I'm here. You know, we, as uh, when we were making our clay models, we have to make our own tools, you know, like, right. and, and so there's certain pride and craftsmanship that goes into sure. that. And so I, I liked it a lot because it was like, I'm working with my hands. It's just really tangible scene. And it's, it's almost the organic in a weird kind of yeah. weird Blade Runner way. <laughs> yeah. But then at the same time, I'm like designing something on the computer and then just 3D printing it. So it's like, it's like dichotomy of things going on. You have like this really traditional old world craft style of, yeah. of, of, of prototyping something. Exactly. And then you have this very high tech, you know, efficient, very efficient and calculated way of, of making something. And so what's cool now, it's like, you know, you fast forward to where we're at today and, you know, we still, I feel, have, I mean, every time we have guests come in, one of the best design labs that any university has. Now, you know, our students are sketching in VR and I think you got to see a lot of that with the Subaru project. It's like they're designing in virtual space, but they're able to experience their designs in one-to-one, where traditionally we don't get to experience our design until we've worked like you know four or five weeks in modeling something to make it represent what our design intent right. is here you're seeing it right away right as you're sketching it and it's it's it's, 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 and it's immersive and it's wrapping around you and it's it's correct it's, you can sit inside real. of it you can move it you know you can park it next to an existing car and and so these are the the tools and again at the end of the day I, I, we tell the students like these are just tools don't ever forget that come back and understand why are you doing this first? And you'll always be ahead of every everyone else because you understand the reason behind what you're doing, not just I'm doing this because everyone else is doing this. I can this. work in the software. That's ah, not important. It's why is this working? Yeah. Why are when you doing to use this? what tool? Yeah, that, that's pretty much the process that I learned. And then, you know, like I said, painting it and, and putting on the final details, the 3D printed hard parts and all that and just... Makes you really proud. Again, something that just started out as a quick little doodle that you did on your notepad. Now is this entity that's there yeah. as a project. What was your graduating project that you did? What was your your was there a thesis or what was it? It was actually a sponsored class with Renault, which really? is a French car company. And I mean, it was hard because you know Renault, 
hasn't been sold in the States for a very long time. You know, I remember them from like the 80s and the late 70s. But it's a very cool brand. They did a, they've done a lot of great concept cars. And so it was definitely, for, for me, it was very much a, a passionate project in the sense that I really, I really enjoyed the brand. I really enjoyed the project. But my portfolio had a lot of projects where I had fast-looking cars. And so Tom's challenge to me that semester was, can you do a design that is equally good-looking, but it's vertical? So basically make it upright, you know, make it a make it a proportion that you've never done before. And I remember I fought him on it for a while. <laughs> I was like, no, it's, it's not. But, that's, that's dumb. <laughs> no, not necessarily that's dumb. It's just more like, that's not what I want to do. That's fine. <laughs> uh, but, you know, um, he was right. I, uh, <laughs> I affectionately called it the marshmallow because <laughs> I painted it white and it had blue windows. Oh, man. But, you know. It's one of the projects that I think, you know, got me, got me, got my foot in the industry and got me my first job. And oh, wow. So, you know, he was, like I said, you know, it was like, Dang it, it, it your created, teacher was right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it created a good balance in the portfolio of having projects, you know, I had like this super truck looking thing. I had a supercar, you know, and I actually had a few supercars. I had a crossover, but it was still very slick looking. And then this was kind of like, again, like I affectionately call it my marshmallow. And I always would say, you know, I was always kid with, with Tom. It's like, this is not my design, by the way, guys. This is something I just did for Tom. <laughs> it was a request. Yeah. Uh, you know, give the man what he wants. So where did you go then after, after you graduated? Actually, my first job out of, uh, out of school was, you know, I, I sent out a lot of portfolios. And I was fortunate to work on a, a, pro a quick project with uh, Chuck Pelly, who started BMW Design Works and and currently it's owned by BMW, but he was the founder of the company and he then sold it off to BMW. So great, you know, design icon. And then Jeff Teague as well, who again was a design icon uh, himself. And so basically we worked on a project and uh, I was only on the team for about six months. And then GM called and it's like, you know, would you like to come and work in Detroit? So I talked with them because had a good relationship with them. I always still saw them as my mentors. And in they're Detroit's, like, yeah, yeah. They're like, car, you know, you want to be in the studio because you're going to, they're like, you know, you're learning a lot here, but like when you're in the studio, you're going to be learning so much more because you're, you're there with the design team. You know, we're here, we're doing a lot of design reviews, but a lot of times we're doing them remotely or, you know, we're, we're working on a project where, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of back and forth. But a lot of times it's not, you know, focus on this is how you develop a design from the ground up. It's kind of like, this is what we need to get done. So let's rock and roll. Right. Right. And GM, I mean, you're thinking. And GM is just like, yeah, you're starting from the very beginning. Well, also when you're starting the projects, you're starting from the very beginning. So that was the fun part. It's like, you know, you, you get to talk to marketing, you get to talk to you know, the brand managers and they come in and they explain to you where they're taking the brand, what we're trying to accomplish with the brand. And then you, you design from, from scratch and, oh, wow. and, but you're on a team and it's cool. I mean, you know, all the designers, usually when we start a project, everyone, we start off together and we all sketch on it and then they pick the best designs and then those designers get to further develop it. So that was, that was fun. I mean, it was Oh, it's almost like school, but for real. 
Yeah, it's like, all right, everyone, yeah, let's, let's it do will. it. Let's, let's actually, sketch it out, see, who, see who's got the coolest idea. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was, in many ways, it was, I, I can say it was almost easier than school because in school, like, you know, you're, you have your schoolwork, but then, like, for me personally, I, I still had to work, you know, to sure. pay, pay my schooling and whatnot. But here it's like, ah, I just got to, I got to go to work and, and do what I love. I mean, I literally just pinch myself, like going, driving in, like, wow, like this is what I'm going to be doing. I remember like the first week just getting off of work. It's like, what do I do now? I have no homework. Right. So I would just go, I would just go, go back to my apartment and, and continue to draw. But, you know, it's like, wow, there's no all nighters or anything like that. But little did I know those were, were those were to come later on. Yeah, for sure. Um, but <laughs> yeah, no, 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 not, not, not by any stretch of the imagination there. But yeah, I mean, it, and, and again, that, that was the big difference. It was just like, it's what you're doing professionally, you know, outside of work. We had, I had, I still have, I would say a lot of great colleagues, you know, we would go out have fun together. Um, as in the Midwest, indoor sports like racquetball and whatnot are really popular, you know, because of the weather. But, you know, we would surprisingly, you know, I joined a beach volleyball team. <laughs> we were playing tennis. Uh, we were out there golfing as well, too. So, I mean, it was it was it was a lot of fun. But yeah, but it was like I said, it was just weird because like for me, any free time I had, I was always designing something. And now it's like, no, you get to design from, you know, in the daytime. That's your day job now yeah. where, you know, again, it was it was just a, it was a very it was a very um, exciting transition. But, you know, we embraced it quickly, made a lot of good friends, uh, still have a lot of good friends from all around the world. And that's the other thing that I love about working with working in a big studio like that is that, you know, we had people from all walks of life. I had, you know. Uh, friends that were from um, Paris. I had friends from Germany. I had friends from uh, from England, from Brazil, from Mexico, you know, from Japan, from Korea, from China. So it's a big collaboration all Correct. the time. Yeah, because, you know, it's for a company, it's important for them to make sure that the, the products they're designing, they're going to reach the widest, you know, the widest audience that they can. And it makes a lot of sense to make sure that those those, um, you know, I would say that that people from those areas of the world had a representation in the studio. And that, I mean, that's not unlike what what the school is now. I would say, would you call? Would you say the school's famous for its its collaboration projects? I mean, you've, we've had Subaru, we've had NASA, we've had um, Audi, and anyone you can think of, and ones we can't even name because they're so top secret. <laughs> um, but these collaboration projects are, I mean. They're like a dream come true for students. If they don't realize it now, they're going to realize it later. I mean, this is probably the coolest, coolest class you'll ever be a part of. I think that that's definitely a culture that we've tried to instill. I know when I was a student, you know, Tom was the director then as well. It was something that, you know, we, we never even saw it as a thing because it was just the way we operated. And now it's something that, you know, we've, we look back where back then we were just collaborating with one or two departments. Now we have, you know, I think over five departments collaborating on these on these uh, projects. And like you said, companies seek us out because, you know, they want to be a part of this where we have all these different disciplines working towards one common goal. Right, because this, this recent Subaru project, which, you know, we've got the videos that are coming out and it's just, you know, one example that's going on. You had 
you know, the, the brief was to design a car for Subaru for 2030. And then it had obviously the industrial designers, graphic designers, fashion, an interior architecture design. Web new media. And web new media. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? And advertising. Oh, you said advertising. Advertising. Yeah. Uh, graphic design. Gra yeah, graphic yeah. design. So those six. So really the whole ecosystem plus, 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 you know, it wasn't even like car design. It was world design. Yeah. How, how do you guys go ahead about building a project like that? I think the first one we did was a challenge. We just did it internally. We didn't have a corporate partner for the first one where we had this many departments. I just called, uh, I called the different directors and said, hey, I have this idea about doing a project like this where it's very inclusive, it's holistic. We approach it from an experience first. I mean, basically what I called uh, at the time, it's going to be post-it note magic <laughs> because <laughs> you were there and you guys will see in the videos too. First day of class is just post-it notes everywhere, yeah. you know? And at first, I think everyone's looking around like, what, what are we doing here? How is this <laughs> going to work out, right? But I think the, the one thing that helps everyone is when they, they're able to step outside the classroom and kind of see that, okay, here's the outcome. Here's where we're headed. But the first one, we didn't have that. So it was just kind of like, guys, here's a vision. Just trust us. <laughs> <laughs> it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. But, you know, it was challenging because, you know, a lot of times, you know, you're, you, you're used to just kind of working in silos in the sense that this is my brief, this is what I need to do, and I'm going to take care of that to my very best ability. Where now it's just kind of like, well, no, everyone's on, everyone is pretty much on standby. It's like, first we need to figure out what do we want to create? We can't even start, like, you know, I know industrial designers get frustrated because they're, they're used to researching, but they're also used to being able to sit down and starting to, you know, bring some ideas to life. Right, like you said, a car is a car. We, it designs itself at the beginning, so leave me alone, let me do my car. Kind of, yeah. But it's like, no, because you don't even know what type of car you need. Right. right? So that's where, again, just getting them to all buy in to like, okay, let's, let's go talk to people. Right? At the end of the day, we're designing for people. Let's go talk to them. Let's go see what they have to say about the current situation. Let's go see what they have to say about what they wish they'd have. And, and for let's students, go show them some ideas. And for know? students, that's, that's got to be mind-blowing because it's the first time they're dealing with real people. Yeah, most of the time, again, they're used to like we're, we're designing a bubble, you know, but and, and that's one of the things where, you know, we always say them. It's like you have to have that feedback loop, yeah. you know, and it's like what we like to say is designing without the feedback loop is, is kind of like a chef making stew, but never tasting to see where he's at with with his spices and with the salt. Yeah, and all yeah that. that's a great analogy. So you're, yeah. just, you're just throwing stuff in and, and hoping for the best and you just keep throwing stuff in. But you never really get to you see the fact that you, all you want, but yeah. uh, if no one's going to eat it, it's just a hot yeah. mess. So this is where we, we, we get them to get to know your people, get to know who you're designing for. That first day of class, they've, you know, they've come into industrial design, you know, they see all the machines, they see all this, this, this collaboration, all this new world. What, what should a student be thinking about that, that first day, what, their path? I think the first day, it's important to just come in with the open mind that I'm not here to just get good at one set, one approach. I'm here to really understand what designing for people is. Again, for me, the, if, they, if they stick to those three tenets of having empathy, having logic, and having the right aesthetics in their designs, they're going to be successful. So the, the formula is fairly simple, but you also have to have the open mind to know that 
you're not going to know best all the time. You will build your rapport and build experience and and definitely be able to provide insights that are going to be more valuable than the general public as you do more and more projects. But that comes with time. The thing that I would say is just come with the open mind, come with the attitude of I am going to work hard and I am going to be comfortable making a lot of mistakes because mistakes are going to lead to my success. And one thing that I like to tell students is never look at mistakes as being opposites to success. They're actually just the stepping stones that make success. If you think of the journey that you're going to embark on is that like I'm here to learn. I'm here to, to make mistakes. I'm here to ask a lot of questions. You know, you're going to have a very positive and successful time at the school. I know any kind of art degree, you know, I have an art degree myself and, and you know, it, it seems like a very different culmination than say a fine artist where at the end of my fine art degree, I have a portfolio of paintings or a portfolio of designs or uh, a portfolio of, of sculptures where, you know, it seems for industrial design, you have a portfolio of solutions, solutions. Okay. Solutions. Yeah. You have a portfolio of solutions. Okay. And that's why we always tell them, too, is like, you know, make sure you're not answering any questions that no one's asking, because that's not industrial design. Mm. Remember, that's where the industry comes in. We're here to mass produce. So then we're so not then, doing bespoke pieces. Uh, OK, we're not. I mean, and again, I mean, for me, I've always said this. I really personally don't consider myself an artist. I consider myself a designer that uses art to communicate my ideas. I actually have much more respect for artists. And one of the reasons I say that is because an artist really has to be comfortable revealing themselves to the world and through their art. We as designers just provide a solution and we use art to communicate how that's going to be solved. We never really are exposing ourselves yeah. to the world. We're just we're very logical beings. And, and when it, it's like it's crazy because, like again, dichotomy, super creative. I always call it like it's like herding cats, <laughs> but we're super logical in the way yeah. we we approach things. And but these cats are going to be herd in a very specific, <laughs> controlled way. Correct. Cats. <laughs> we're all going to purr together, I guess. <laughs> well, then that sets up the very next question. Then is so once a student has graduated, what are those things they need to know after they've graduated, so that they're they're in the solutions business? I think what's important is for them to, and again, this is something that they work on through throughout their career at the academy and through school, I would say in general, organize their portfolio, showcase their thinking, how they came to different solutions. And, and that's, that's a very important thing for them to prepare a marketable portfolio that's going to showcase to their employer. I can think and I have a wide gamut of ideas. I'm not just someone who's going to approach something, come up with one idea and only execute that. I'm going to ask more questions than the initial problem calls for. And I'm going to make sure that I've approached it from every way possible so that when I do give you a solution, you're comfortable knowing that that is the best solution at the time. And I always say at the time because, like I said before, as time progresses, different variables come into play, right? If I have a new material that I can use now that I couldn't use five years ago, I can design something much better. So for me, like when they graduate, that's what I tell them is prepare, you know, prepare their marketable portfolio and be themselves because, you know, they're getting into these companies. They're, they're going and interviewing across the country and whatnot. And like I tell them, it's your work is what gets you there. The final step when companies are, are bringing you in to interview in person is they want to get to know you as, 
as, as a person, as a human being, as a team member. And that's where, for us, the collaboration classes that we do, where we put them with students from different disciplines and they have to work in teams, we think that's very valuable because when HR comes and asks that question, how have you been part of a team and what have you contributed? Or how did you deal with a teammate that maybe wasn't contributing their fair <laughs> share? You know, our students have real world experience with that and they can speak to that confidently. And so, again, that's, that's where we tell them, you know, your work is going to speak for you. Be a good person. And that's what you're going to be able to showcase when you talk to them one on one. And I think because of that, you know, our companies continue to come back and interview our students. We have portfolio days. We also have spring show and winter show. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of companies always say, you know, we're always happy to hire your, your guys because they're technically sound. They have really good skill sets. But more importantly, they're really good people and they're just really good team players because like, that's the way you train them. And like the warehouse, you've, you've been to it. It's like a little family in there. Oh, yeah. I mean. And I always tell them, like, always help each other out. I tell the freshmen, seek out the seniors. And I tell the seniors, help out the freshmen. Because when you teach someone, you actually are learning more from that experience than the person you're teaching. And that allows you to master your craft. That's where, for me, when they graduate, I always remind them of that. And then the one thing that I always find really helpful is for them to just document their first, first week first three months, first six months and first year, and kind of just write notes to themselves on what they want to see. And this is something that I got from, from Tom. And I've actually implemented it in the classroom too. At the end of every semester, I have all the students take out their cell phones and write a note to themselves for the first day of class for the next semester. Oh, and cool. so they talk to themselves in the future <laughs> from the past, <laughs> telling them this worked, continue to do this. Here's things that we need to improve on. <laughs> and here's things that we maybe don't want to do so, moving so forward. So you're industrial designing good human beings. Correct. Oh, and that's, that's what I, I always kid. But really, that's, that's, that's as an educator, as a design educator, that's what I really am passionate about. And I think that's, that's what I currently do. It's like I design the future designers of the world. That's honestly what I feel like I'm doing. And so for me, like the human component, as much joy as has brought me designing goods and designing products, there's a different joy when, for example, you know, one of my students who was the first student, one of the first students that I had when I came back to the academy, then launching a vehicle at LA Auto Show. That's a very powerful feeling of knowing that, you know, you were able to help this student find their way. And now here they are launching their own product. And again, there's something powerful about that because that's more than just if I design a product, it's that product that I design and that's it. It ends there. If I can help an industrial designer, whatever they make and whatever they teach now, that's exponential. I have much more impact. That's great. That was, that was going to be my last question to you. It's like, what do you wish you could design now? But I think you answered that. is <laughs> designing, yeah. designing the best designers possible. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. And luckily, like I said, we have a really good program. We have a really good platform to do it from. I'm really excited to see what we're going to be doing within the next year, within the next five years within the next 10 years. I mean, I, I look back at where we were at 10 years ago and where we're at today, and I see the growth in, in our department in the sense of what we've been able to accomplish, where our students are working. And so again, it's something that we definitely want to continue to do. That right there is going to be some of the best advice anyone is going to give you when it comes to a career and life in art and design. 
and, and I'm truly a fanboy when it comes to the School of Industrial Design. I tell everyone, take a class there. Just just one, whether or not you're a full-time student, whether you're not even in college anymore, take, take an experience class there because it will change your view on design. And as more and more art and design career opportunities rise, employers are always on the hunt for the next generation of talented and, of course, skilled creative professionals. At Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco or, of course, anywhere in the world with our online programs. So to request any info about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, including industrial design, automotive restoration, photography, UX design, game design, and more, please check out academyart.edu slash creativemind. Thank you again for listening, and please hit that subscribe button on whatever device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind.